Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello everybody out there in Bourbon Real Talk land. Randy Sullivan with a very special controversial episode for you today. We are going to talk about fresh cracks. Now, when we talk about fresh cracks, I'm noticing out there in all of the whiskey enthusiast land that you all are not all talking about the same thing. So let's make sure that we're all on the same page about what a fresh crack versus a neck pour is, okay? So one of the things that I'm hearing from people is that whiskey in the bottle is being affected by the air space that's at the top, okay? And that the whiskey that's up in the top of the neck of the bottle has been negatively affected by that oxygen. And that the first pour out of the bottle doesn't taste good. So what are people that subscribe to that ideology, what are they saying? They are saying that the oxygen is negatively affecting the whiskey that's at the top of the bottle, okay? Which is actually the opposite of what the fresh crack people are saying. The fresh crack people are saying that when they open up a bottle of whiskey, all the whiskey in the bottle is bad, and that you need to pour a little bit out to create a little bit of headspace so that there's more oxygen in the bottle because the exposure of the oxygen to that whiskey is gonna make the whiskey taste better than it did when it was a fresh crack. So for anybody out there that's using the net pour terminology interchangeably with the fresh crack terminology, understand they are actually opposite schools of thought they once believes that oxygen negatively affects whiskey one believes that the oxygen positively affects whiskey so now that we are on the same page about what we're talking about let's talk about oxygen its effect on whiskey and whether or not any of this makes any sense so understand that when you are tasting whiskey the elements that are causing a difference in flavor from whiskey to whiskey are generally referred to as congeners Okay, and congeners is like this catch-all term that means any flavor-producing compound. Now, most of the flavor that you're getting, the most common flavor compounds, if you will, that are in whiskey are like fusel oils, aldehydes, esters, things like that. And, but congeners includes that plus a whole lot of other things and flavor compounds that haven't even been identified by science yet. So it's just like this general catch-all term. So that's what congeners means. And so the big question is, is if congeners affect flavor, which congeners are affected by oxygen? Since everybody seems to think that the bottle being open and having oxygen in the headspace is having all of this impact on the flavor, whether it's good or it's bad. Well, the answer to that question is, not many congeners are affected by oxygen. 
And that is contrary to what is the most popular belief out there. And I think that a lot of the information that's out there with regard to whiskey is coming from the wine industry. Now understand, wine never goes through the distillation process. And that means that it has different compounds in it because distillation is purification. And it pulls out a lot of compounds that can be affected by oxygen. And so I think that part of the reason why people are so willing to buy into this idea that the oxygen is having this big impact on the flavor, whether it's positive or negative, is because of their experience from wine. So some, one of the other things that you have to take into consideration is that there are not very many compounds that are affected by oxygen, but some of the compounds that are affected by oxygen are also not flavor compounds. They're not detectable by the human palate. So just because there are things that will chemically react with oxygen does not necessarily mean that it's going to change the flavor of the whiskey. Um, but at the same time, we know that whiskey does change its flavor over very long periods of time. And so we have to ask ourselves, if it's not the oxygen, what's causing that, that change? And is that something that would contribute to the fresh crack or the neck pour phenomenon? Now, I'm not a chemical engineer, but I've, I've read some comments and things from chemical engineers, and I will say that I don't fully understand it. So I'm gonna do my very best to give you some of the theories that I have been able to pick up on, what makes sense to me from a scientific, scientific standpoint, uh, but I don't wanna get into an argument with a chemical engineer that knows more than me because I get that I don't understand the chemical engineering of all of this stuff. But one theory that I read is that CO2 can impact the, the pH inside the whiskey. Um, so uh, CO2 can uh, dissolve and be inside the liquid. And there's a theory that the, the dissolved CO2 levels go up over time inside of a bottle and that that affects the pH, and that when the pH changes, it affects the quote-unquote active state of flavor molecules. And that's something that makes sense to me. Um, there's another theory that I'm a huge subscriber to, and that is it has to do with ABV, alcohol by volume. Because ethanol, which is what we drink, you know, that's, that's the alcohol that's in whiskey, it evaporates pretty easily. And even in a sealed bottle, that bottle still breathes a little bit past the cork, and it does so less so with screw tops, but most popular whiskeys do have some sort of a cork type device, whether it be synthetic, synthetic or an actual cork from a cork tree, and they can breathe. And so temperature changes and things like that, barometric pressure changes, that will cause air to push past that cork and go into the bottle. It can create a vacuum and it can you know, pull air in, it can push air out. And so over time, you're gonna have air moving in and out of that bottle, and along with that air could be ethanol, because we know that when we go get a Dusty and we test its, its ABV, it's typically lower than it was when it was originally bottled. And that could have an impact. Um, some of these changes though, the, the, the potential pH change and the potential ethanol change are affecting whether or not the flavor molecules are in active state, but it also affects what chemical reactions are able to take place inside that solution. Because 
despite what your doctor says, alcohol is a solution from a chem chemical standpoint. So if you have a certain level of alcohol by volume, you have a certain pH level, there are some chemical reactions that aren't going to take place. But if you change those elements, then those chemical reactions can start to take place. And that could cause flavor impacting molecules to be combining, potentially to break apart, things like that. Another thing that we know is an issue is UV rays because UV rays will damage the large flavor molecules that affect our whiskey. But from what I understand, and there was a comment about protonization and there has to be oxygen involved for that chemical reaction to take place for the UV to break up the, the flavor molecules. Again, that's beyond me. I'm not a chemical engineer, but we do know that you should not have your bottles exposed to direct sunlight because the UV rays can damage those flavor molecules. Um, but all of these processes are very, very slow, okay? And they, they take place over a long period of time. And so the reality of the situation is, is that, yeah, there are some compounds that, are, that can chemically react with oxygen. Whether or not those are the ones that are impacting the flavor of your whiskey is a very detailed chemical engineering question. And it's pretty unlikely that the differences that you're perceiving in your whiskey are actually due to oxygen, oxygen changes. So if people do perceive differences, then what would you think those differences would be caused by? Well, quite often when people are trying to evaluate a whiskey and they're paying a lot of attention to whether or not it tastes good or it tastes bad to them, they are doing a fresh crack of a hard to find bottle. And I find that fresh cracks tend to happen when it's your first drink of the day, right? Because something's happened, you're celebrating, something went wrong, you're trying to commiserate, whatever, and you say, you know what, screw it. I'm gonna open up that really special bottle of whiskey that I've been saving for a special occasion. This is it, let's do it, and you open up that special bottle. I also find that a lot of special bottles are higher proof because special releases tend to be higher proof than the shelf, the shelf available products. And I think that one of the big factors associated with this is what I'd call palate shock. So when you first sip a whiskey, your body's not ready for it, right? Whiskey can be very shocking to the palate. And so if you are doing a fresh crack of an expensive high proof whiskey and it's the first thing that you drank that day, that is going to cause palate shock. And that alone by itself could completely explain the neck pour and the fresh crack phenomenon that people are so convinced they're experiencing. Hey, Bourbon Real Talk watchers and listeners, Randy Sullivan with a real quick commercial break. So if you haven't noticed, this channel does not have any sponsors because I wanna be completely independent as I provide valuable information to you. And I also don't have a Patreon. So if you were wondering how you could support the channel, here's how, we have merch. So one of the things that we have that we're pretty excited about are these Glen lanyards. If you've ever gone to a whiskey tasting, this thing is clutch. Secondly, we have Bourbon Real Talk branded Glen Carrots. Now, a lot of guys think candles are just for girls, but that's not the case because Bourbon Real Talk has been thinking about all of you men out there or women who like more masculine scents. And we have masculine scented candles. We've got leather, charcoal, and tonka 
And as you get more excited about the whiskey enthusiast game, you're going to start to collect samples. And those samples are going to clutter up your shelf. So I made these lovely storage boxes. We have two sizes. They are actually solid wood. They come pre-stained. They hold 36 a piece. So we have one that's a one ounce and one that's a two ounce. But if you want the creme de la creme of Bourbon Real Talk merch, you're gonna to wanna to get one of these Bourbon Real Talk American Whiskey Aroma Kits. This has 36 different scents that would commonly be found in American whiskey. And this kit has actually made its mark on the world. There is one major Kentucky distillery, soon to be two. They use this kit to train their sensory team. So if you wanna get on that level, you can pick up one of these. Now, if you're just a casual listener, you don't want to pick up any merch and you just want to come and you want to learn i'm happy to have you as a listener but if you want to support the channel best way to do it is to head over to bourbonrealtalk.com forward slash shop and pick something up so the second factor that i think might be contributing to that neck pour or, or fresh crack phenomenon is what i refer to as palate fatigue so as i mentioned often it's either the first bottle that you open up for the day but sometimes you're with friends or whatever, you're drinking, you've had a few pours, you start to get a little bit loose and you, you say to yourself, you know what, screw it. I'm gonna open up that great bottle of whiskey. What's a better time than now? But you've already been drinking for a little bit and that can create what I refer to as palate fatigue. If you've ever done like a barrel pick that has like 12 different barrels in it, or you've gone to Four Roses and they, they roll out all nine, or, or I'm sorry, all 10 recipes and you're trying to pick between 10, you realize very quickly that your palate gets tired of trying to analyze all of those different whiskeys. And so it could very well just be palate fatigue that's contributing to it. The largest influencer, in my opinion, is probably palate influence. And so you are going to perceive the very same whiskey that you had yesterday different today because of what you ate, how long it's been since you brushed your teeth, right? What other things you tasted. And so as an example, when I interviewed Ken Hamlin, we were gonna smoke a cigar together, but I had to go pick the Prideful Goat batch three right when I left there. I didn't smoke a cigar because I knew that my palate would be influenced by the cigar and I wouldn't be able to identify my favorite whiskey. And if I did, there's a chance that I wouldn't pick that one had I not had the influence of the cigar. And so that's a huge factor. Another factor is simply mood. If you had a fight with your significant other or you, you know, had a conflict with a, uh, your boss at work or uh, you just found out that your kid did something that you didn't want them to do or whatever the case may be, all of those things can influence the way that you perceive the whiskey. So me personally, I've had tons of experiences where I went back to a whiskey that I really enjoyed and I poured it, I tasted it and I thought, you know what, this isn't for me, right? Um, not today anyway. And I've even poured it back into the bottle and picked something else because it wasn't for me that day. And sometimes there's very specific flavor notes that come out to me for one whiskey or another. And I'm just like, okay, today I like this. Or the next day I don't taste it. And so probably we can chalk all of this up. If you've ever opened up a bottle and poured it into your glass and tasted it and didn't like it and then came back to that bottle two weeks or two months later and felt differently about it, it's most likely some sort of a placebo effect. You've been told that that's what's supposed to happen by virtually everybody in the whiskey world. I believe influence based on the wine. And so, you know, from my perspective, 
understanding chemically what's going on and understanding that the oxygen is not affecting it. And if it is, it's at a rate that wouldn't be perceptible by the human palate. I think that there's an infinite number of potential explanations as to why a newly opened bottle doesn't taste the same to you as it does later on down the road that have nothing to do with the whiskey itself, right? And I kind of feel bad because every one of these premium whiskeys that, you know, people say, well, it really needed to open up. I didn't like it when I first, you know, first tried it. Every one of them, there's a whole team of people that poured their blood, sweat, and tears into making that whiskey and were blaming the whiskey. When we know from talking to chemical engineers and we know from just, you know, being intuitive that there are so many other explanations as to why that whiskey tastes different to you than just the oxidation or oxidization effect, okay? And so, you know, functionally, when you start thinking about oxygen being the contributing factor that changes the flavor of the whiskey, it just doesn't make any sense, right? Because whiskey is aged in a barrel, you know, American whiskey bourbons and rice are aged in a barrel, okay? And before they get put in that barrel, they go through the distillation process. And the distillation process removes virtually all of the highly volatile compounds that would be able to easily, easily chemically react with atmospheric air. And whiskey is exposed to outrageous amounts of oxygen during the, the aging process. If you've ever been into a barrel warehouse, you see barrel after barrel that's leaking all over the place. They have holes in them. Barrels breathe throughout the year. Um, they, they, they have tons of evaporative loss, right? And there's tons of headspace inside that barrel. Barrels on average have 28 to 38 seams, which they breathe through because of all the staves, right? And the, every one of those seams is able to pull air into that barrel every time the atmospheric pressure changes, every time there's a temperature change. And so that barrel is breathing constantly and pulling in tons of oxygen. So the whole concept that you know, a distiller is going through and he, he's, he's tasting all of these different barrels and he's going, okay, is this one ready for bottling? Should this one be blended into the blend? And very consistently, the distiller or whoever it is that's part of that tasting team that works on that blend is consistently off by two weeks to two months, right? This whiskey's been aging for 12 years in a barrel. It's got, at this point, 60% headspace in the barrel, breathing like crazy, and all it needed to be good is just two more weeks of oxygen exposure. And these distillers just can't get it right. They're always off by two weeks to two months. It just doesn't make any sense, okay? Because by the time the whiskey gets into the barrel, it's already had everything stripped out of it, not everything, but almost everything stripped out of it that affects flavor that also reacts with oxygen. And it's already had massive amounts of exposure to oxygen for all those chemical reactions to take place, right? And, and, and then you take into a, a, account that most of you, especially with neck pour theory, right? You're talking about this much space in the top of a bottle. That's not very much oxygen. That's not enough to create enough chemical reactions to affect the flavor of the bottle. And the last thing, and maybe my most favorite thing, is that it's not possible to pour out a neck pour. 
It's not possible. In fact, I'm going to demonstrate for you guys what happens whenever you try to pour out a net pour. So if you think about it, what you're saying is that you have a bottle and it's, it's full, okay? And when bottles, I'm going to demonstrate this for you guys. So when bottles are filled up, they're filled up to about this level, okay? There is a little bit of headspace in here. It's not much, but it's a little bit. And so when you think about surface area and exposure to oxygen, it's not very much. And keep in mind, this is sealed. And so it's, it's not like this open air container where if this was chemically reacting, we could cycle out the oxygen and we could get more. We've got a limited amount of oxygen in this bottle, okay? And so what I want to do to demonstrate the fact that we cannot pour out this section of the liquid without it mixing with the liquid that's lower in the bottle is I'm gonna drip in some food coloring, okay? And this is red food coloring. And the, the food coloring is gonna represent the negatively affected whiskey, right? That has been degraded by the oxygen in this headspace. And we're gonna see whether or not I'm able to pour it into a glass without mixing it with all the other supposedly non-affected whiskey that didn't get affected by the oxygen up here, okay? And so this is gonna be a little bit difficult. I'm gonna to have to go very slowly, but I'm gonna do the best that I can to show you guys what happens when you try to pour out just the headspace in the whiskey. There we go. So I got a fresh glass over here. I'm gonna drip this in, and then I'm gonna slowly try to pour it. Are you zoomed in nice and tight? We ready? Okay. So right away, we can see there's plenty still at the top. And when I try to pour it into this glass, just the glugging of the oxygen starts to mix and right away, you see that that negatively affected whiskey is all the way halfway down this bottle. Now we did get a lot of it in the glass, okay? But what happens is when you tilt this bottle sideways, the, the liquid from the bottom comes out of the bottom of the pour and the liquid in the neck comes out of the top of the pour and they mix together very quickly. And the other thing that you can, you can do is that if you had your neck pour in here, oh, too fast. Woo. If you had your neck pour in here, see the bottom is still kind of clear. I'm gonna put a little bit more in so that you can see this phenomenon. If there were truly a neck pour issue, the only thing you'd have to do to fix it is just turn the bottle like that. And now you can see that all the negatively affected whiskey is perfectly integrated with all of the non-negatively affected whiskey. So there's no such thing as a neck pour. It, 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 chemically, it doesn't make sense. Physics says that it's not possible. The only way for you to get the neck pour out of a bottle would be for you to set the bottle upright, somehow remove the cork from it without disturbing the whiskey at all, and then sticking a pipette or something in there and pulling just the whiskey out of the neck. So, I mean, 
I know that it's a very popular theory, but I think that it's time for us in the whiskey enthusiast community to give up on the idea that whiskey needs to open up. It's not wine. It doesn't need to open up. Give up on the idea that the whiskey that's in the neck of the bottle just doesn't taste as good as the whiskey that's in the bottom of the bottle. There's no chemical explanation for it, and there are literally thousands of other explanations that have nothing to do with the whiskey. So let's stop blaming it on the whiskey and move forward and drink what we like. Now, if this is the first time that you've watched the Bourbon Real Talk channel, I'd love to tell you about our show philosophy. We are all about bringing people together, which means sometimes we have to deal with these controversial topics where whiskey enthusiasts have been arguing with one another online. And I go out, I do the research, I bring it together. Maybe we can all get on the same page. Maybe we can agree to disagree. But I do find that the brown spirits tend to cause people to come together. And uh, that's kind of my show's whole objective, is to bring people together through bourbon. Now, part of the reason why I do that is because I did lose a loved one to suicide a few years ago. And I wanted to do something to help people that were maybe feeling alone, like he was, to understand that they weren't alone, that they could be part of a community, that they could be loved, that there were people that cared about them. And so that was part of the impetus for starting this podcast, because I figured I may not be able to connect people with each other, but I can at least connect people to whiskey, and then the whiskey will do the rest of the job, because whiskey does bring people together. Um, I also noticed that there were a lot of people online, especially during the last political cycle, they were showing a lot of hate towards one another, strangers that had never met each other, saying terrible things to each other. And it dawned on me that some of these people would probably end up friends if instead of arguing about politics, they just sat down over a glass of whiskey and got to know each other, talked about things that everybody has in common, like what they want for their kids or you know, what they're hoping for in their career, right? what they want in their relationship. Everybody has similar objectives. And that if we just got together around this, this brown spirit, we could all be friends. But it also dawned on me that if these individuals were able to hate somebody that they had never talked to or met online, basically a stranger, that it was just as easy for me to love someone online that was basically a stranger. And that's why I sign off every show with the same sign off. And I would like to say that we do support, um, you know, suicide awareness and suicide prevention. And so from now on, the end of our show is going to have information about the suicide prevention hotline on it and where if you are struggling or someone you know is struggling, you can go out and you can get resources to help you. Um, but I will end the show with this and that is, if you woke up this morning and you were unsure whether or not anyone loved you, just know that I love you. And I'll see you next time on Bourbon Real Talk. Say 
goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.